Take your Bibles and turn with me to 1 Timothy 4, looking today at verses 11 through 16. 1 Timothy 4, 11 through 16. This week I realized it was on the third weekend of September in 1984, so this weekend, that uh, I preached my first sermon at Open Door Bible Church. We had arrived a couple of uh, weeks earlier with our one-month-old son, Eric, and a moving truck, and uh, after going to school at a Bible college and seminary in Dallas, suddenly I was the pastor. Small handful of you might remember those early days. I was obviously young and inexperienced at spiritual leadership. The passage we are studying today is one that for many years was a huge encouragement to me. And you'll see why. Because it encouraged me not only concerning my young age, it encouraged me because it simplified my focus on what God had asked me to do. There are so many things through these last years that would come along that I couldn't control. They happen, and you, you try to be a part of that ministry going with the flow. But this passage really does simplify the things that any spiritual leader can control in the sense of this is what you can be responsible for, this is all that you can really address. And they are basically these two things. Knowing God's Word and seeking to live God's word. Look for the, we're going to read the whole passage, and then kind of look for these two themes as the Apostle Paul is talking to young Timothy, functioning as a pastor in Ephesus. Look for these two terms of knowing the word of God and communicating that, and then seeking to live it. Command, verse 11, command and teach these things, that's his public ministry. Don't let anyone look down on you because you are young, but set an example for the believers in speech, in life, in love, in faith, and in purity. Until I come, devote yourself to the public reading of Scripture, to preaching, and to teaching. Do not neglect your gift, which was given you through a prophetic message When the body of elders laid their hands on you, be diligent in these matters, give yourself wholly to them, so that everyone may see your progress. Watch your life and doctrine or teaching closely. Persevere in them, because if you do, you will save both yourself and your hearers. Basically, this is job description a job description from God for being a spiritual leader. We must depend on the power of God's word and the impact of our life when God puts us in some type of leadership. The most specific application of this passage would, of course, be to, you know, Nate and Seth and myself as staff right now, or you could extend it to the elders, but this is not a staff meeting, this is not a board meeting. And the reality is that God put this passage in all of our Bibles to benefit all of us. 
So we all need this. First of all, the whole church needs to understand this so that you know how to hold your leaders accountable. These are the non-negotiables. There might be many things that a person might expect or desire from pastors, elders, but these are the essentials. Are we teaching the Word of God? And are we an example at all to be followed? But there's some other ways in which I think this is for everyone today. This is why we all need to understand spiritual leadership. First of all, notice what it says, set an example. An example means that what Timothy was to do was not just for Timothy. What Timothy was to do was to model what everyone is to do. That's the nature of an example, right? Set an example in speech, life, love, faith, and purity. So spiritual leaders are meant to be followed, not watched. Nor are we expected to be spiritual superstars that you go and watch, like watching Aaron Rodgers make a great play, which I know is not a terribly good illustration this week. <laughs> spiritual leaders are not given by God to be admired, but to be imitated. And so it's a silly and dangerous culture to, to begin to think about spiritual celebrities like the rest of the world thinks about celebrities. But only if, if, if something that a leader does is worth following, then follow. If not, then don't, by all means. So one reason we need to understand spiritual leadership is to follow spiritual examples, but the second is to become a spiritual leader yourself. It would be sad if the only spiritual leaders that opened our Bible church were those that had an official role like staff or elders, because we need leaders all up and down these rows and in these rooms and in our community. We need spiritual leaders everywhere. And the most basic place that we know from God's word that we need spiritual leadership is in every address in our directory. Every home needs spiritual leadership. So let me just kind of say to boys and young men, if you are not interested in spiritual leadership, don't get married. Ephesians 5 says that your role as a husband will be to spiritually lead your home especially your bride. And so if, if, you're not, if you're not interested in that, just avoid girls, okay? You might fall in love. You might have kids. And then the stakes are higher yet because Ephesians 6, 4 says that dads, your role is to bring up your children in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. Not the world, but the Lord. So, guys, young guys, take this very seriously. You are a spiritual leader. Husbands, dads, moms. You almost always have more time with your children than your husband does. So, you are undoubtedly a spiritual leader. What about if you're a Christian single? Are you, can you escape leadership then? Not if you want to influence your friends spiritually. Uh, I, if, if you, if you want to live for you know, a paycheck and entertaining yourself, anybody can avoid leadership, but 
if you care to impact others eternally, then you really are a leader. And so, as, as I think as John Maxwell defined, leadership is influence. We want to have an influence. So I guess that's a long way of saying we all need this passage, but it does indeed start with the, uh, the elders, deacons, pastors of a church. So what does it take to lead spiritually? There's kind of a checklist throughout this passage, but it's a checklist of encouragement. Because we have to understand in spiritual leadership that we know we cannot guarantee the spiritual life of those we seek to lead. Every parent eventually discovers that, right? We cannot guarantee it. We cannot coach, convince someone to be more spiritual. That is God's job. But we can depend upon the power of God's word and if he could use then our obedience to God's word. So Timothy, verse 11, command and teach these things. As we read that in verse 11, we're jumping into the context. If you were here with us last week, these things are talking about the things he just wrote about in verses 1 through 10. Verses one through, remember the twin truths that we looked at last week? Grace and godliness. These are the twin truths of the Christian life. Verses 1 through 5 are saying, you have to start with a fundamental understanding of the grace of God, that he is a good God and wants good things for you. So he's given us things like marriage and food to be enjoyed. So don't adopt a view of the Christian life that somehow you are most spiritual if you deny yourself good things or your definition of spirituality is what you don't do. So make sure you start with a foundation of grace But then if we understand God's grace, then we are motivated, in fact, to live a life of godliness, which includes sacrifice, which he says in verse 7, trained to be godly. It has impact not only in this life, but for eternity. And so indeed you will labor and strive, verse 10, to serve the one who died for the whole world. So it begins to make sense when you realize that grace is what motivates godliness. So Timothy, command and teach these things. Stay, stay focused on grace and godliness. And then in a very personal way, he says, I understand where you're at in life. Don't let anyone look down on you because you are young, but set an example. That's how you counteract that. Set an example for the believers in speech, in life, in love, faith, and in purity. Uh, how young was Timothy? Probably in his early to mid-30s, in, in Greek culture especially, but it's kind of true everywhere, that uh, age was honored and youth was suspect, especially in those days. Paul was maybe 20, 25 years older, but he had confidence that Timothy was ready for what he had assigned him to do. Chapter 1, left you in Ephesus to actually correct false teaching and those kind of things. He was ready. And so the principle here, particularly for anyone younger, is don't act your age. Don't act your age. Be an example. Overcome any age deficiency by the way you live. When your age is at a minimum, your example is a premium. And you can do that. Be an example to believers, and suddenly age is irrelevant so young timothy 
Don't let your age define how mature you are. A challenge for any Christian young person, right? So I'm encouraged by the continuity that God has planned for the church, and we should be encouraged by our young people. And we should be encouraging them and be unafraid to even follow them when they lead us by example. So what do we need to, who needs to learn spiritual leadership? Obviously young pastors or elders. If you find yourself suddenly with, with an opportunity to be in a position, don't let it go to your head, but make sure you live as an example. If you are a new husband, new dad, newer, you, 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 you take on this responsibility and you feel the overwhelming sense of need to provide for, for, for your wife and, and, and for your child. Don't forget you are their spiritual leader as you get wrapped up in the, the providing aspect. You're a new mom and for the next 18 years your chief concern is keeping them alive, safe. Don't let your protective, caring nature cause you to shove to the side your absolute core responsibility to train them in the nurture and the admonition of the Lord. Hopefully, if you have that privilege alongside your husband. Teenagers, as you're, you've come to faith in Christ especially, you will begin to understand that there is both this sense of, I need to know what I'm going to do with my life and God wants to do something with my life. That's not a contradiction. As you begin to think, what does God want to do with my life? You suddenly realize I can have an influence on others spiritually if I am an example in life, in love, in faith, in purity. But if I just go along with everybody else, I won't be. Or you're a new Christian in some sense. Maybe you've come to faith in him more recently. You begin to realize there's something to this thing about Jesus and you put your faith in him and you, your eternity is secure and you're all excited about that. But immediately you begin to think, well, then other people need it. So I need to help them. I need to nurture, help, lead them. These are, these are good things. So what do you focus on? Same thing Timothy did. You focus on the word of God. Know it communicate it that's going to be that's how you lead is taking people here so there's some authority it's not just your great idea and then making sure that you are an example worth following so I, I, we really need to as you think of this idea of example rid ourselves of this idea that somehow pastors are like spiritually on another level they're they're made out of different stuff that's why they can do this. If you ever doubt that, talk to Priscilla, Anya, or Michelle, or maybe not. <laughs> but we're all in the same journey, and God just simply calls out different ones of us, whether it's the home uh, or, or some ministry environment where we are pressed into, by God, leadership of some kind. So, to be a leader, focus on the word, focus on living the word. Now here's six areas, five or six, depending on which translation you have. The King James has six. I think actually this one term is to be included. So let me walk through these six 
traits of someone who is an example to other believers. Life, love, then the word spirit, and then the words, um, I'm sorry, speech, life, spirit, love, faith, and purity. This is a good checklist also. Let me just talk to girls, young women. Don't date a guy who isn't growing in these areas. This, this, is, this, is, your, this is your filter, okay? Speech. Proverbs is great to try to understand how the importance of our words, things we've said. Usually some of our biggest regrets are words we've said, right? So be an example in speech. Go to the book of Proverbs and you find out that, that words can be, can be like knives that hurt people. Words can be like honey that are sweet. Conduct or life, these are decisions that we make. How do you make decisions? Is, is, do you make decisions about, about money, about beauty, about success, the way the world makes decisions? You could. That, that would be the default. Or do your decisions reflect the wisdom of God's word, the priorities of God's word? Third one, spirit, only in the King James, I think it's part of this text in, in, the, in the original language. Spirit here meaning not capital S, Holy Spirit, but probably like attitude. Be an example in your attitude towards others. If someone has a persistent negative attitude, they are not a leader, or at least not a leader in the right direction. If, if, If we're all gloom and doom, it's hard to assume that they are encouraged daily in the Word of God. So be a leader in spirit. Love. Love is selfless. So make sure, Timothy, that you are, you are living selflessly. You, you, you care. You live generously. You show grace in abundance because there's only sinners. So, and likewise, on the flip side, if you're, if you're looking at leaders, if you feel consistently put down, that, that person can't really lead you spiritually. Love, faith. Faith meaning, do, you, do they trust God? Probably meaning in the Christian life. Everybody's going to face crisis. Everybody's going to face tragedy. We're all going to, boom, hit the floor. But how do we recover? Is it with a sense of God alone can uphold me? Honey, we need to pray. God will see us through this. And finally, in purity, this term is specifically probably face, talking about moral purity. If you, our passage next week in verse 2 about Timothy treating younger women as sisters in absolute purity. Dispel those fleshly, immoral thoughts, Timothy. Obviously, a challenge in these days. In verse 13, then, Paul gets very specific about the focus on the word of God. Until I come, your job, Timothy, until I come, devote yourself to the public reading of Scripture, to preaching and to teaching. In fact, in the original, it doesn't even say public reading. It just says to reading, exhortation or preaching, and teaching. 
That's, that's, that's basically your job description. They're all focused on communicating the scripture. Until I come, and, and Paul, uh, this, is, this is after his imprisonment years, he probably did get back to Ephesus. Uh, there's not a specific proof of that. He did get to Miletus, which is nearby, 2 Timothy 4.20. So we assume he's going to get there. So Timothy, you're, 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 you're filling in for the apostle, really. You're, you're serving on his behalf. And so what you need to do is read, preach, and teach the Word of God. But reading, indeed, is a public thing because it's a term that means audibly. You've got you to read the Word of God. You know why that was important then is they didn't all have copies in front of them. So the scriptures here is primarily the Old Testament, and hopefully every fellowship, uh, I'm sure Ephesus being a larger church uh, body, probably had some copies of the Old Testament scrolls. But the only way that the people were going to hear the word of God is to have it read. They didn't all go to their shelf and take down their scroll. The word of God was, was, was valued and honored, especially because you didn't have any personally. One of the reasons you'll, you'll hear us continually urging you in this setting get an app, get, grab the Bible, look it up, is because it is a unique privilege to actually hold the Word of God and be looking at it. So I, I just urge you to do that. It's okay if you want to just grab one right now to feel better. Um, you need to see the Word of God because the Word of God audibly, visually, is where the power of the Spirit begins to filter down into your life. So read it. And then Timothy preach it. You have the word exhort or preach. It seems to emphasize specific applications. So make sure that you're giving them like action steps. Here's something you need to do, kind of like I just did. But what, what difference does it make? It's not just words. It's what difference does it make in our life? Read it, exhort, preach. And then third one is teach. Teaching, or the term doctrine, is this idea of being able to have a body of truth that you understand. A couple times he's talked about the danger of false teaching. So when you're teaching, you are explaining the scripture, and so we need to have an understanding, all of us, an understanding of scripture enough that we go, I hear someone saying this online or a friend or whatever, but that's not right. I was talking to some people after the Saturday service last night who, who were, 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 were looking at a, a certain church uh, website uh, for, for their, one of their children in another town and began to realize, that's not right. I think, and praise the Lord. You should be able to look at what a church does and believes and say, that's right or that's wrong. So we need to understand, kind of, kind of formalize these ideas and really so, so we'd be able to say what is true in our own words, but it's based on only on God's word. So you think of these three ideas, it's what we seek to do in our different ministries. Some of you have uh, taken the course here called Living by the Book. Uh, it's, it's, a, it's a how to study your Bible uh, course. And the book, Living by the Book, is uh, written by Professor Howard Hendricks, who I was privileged to, to study under. 
And I was thinking about the way he teaches how to study the Bible. And so for some of you, this is familiar. Have you heard the words observation, interpretation, application kind of thing? So observation is what does the text say? Interpretation is what does that mean? Application is what does it mean to me? Okay. And I was thinking that's really basically parallel to what uh, Paul is saying here. So he says, pay attention to the reading the, the exhortation and the teaching, the reading is observation. What does it say? The teaching would be interpretation and preaching would be the application. And Paul got him in the wrong order because he didn't have Prof. Hendrick's book. But anyhow, anyhow the, the ideas are basically parallel that we've got to make sure, first of all, that we know what it says and we don't start making up stuff. But then what does it what does it mean? So put it out there. What does it mean and what does it mean to me? Make sure it lands into our life someplace. The, the focus of, of a church needs to be that we would hear from God. There are, there are some core essential functions of a church. We've worshipped together. That's essential. We talk to him. In praise, we talk to him in prayer. We need each other. But then we have to hear from him. I'm glad that the founders of the church used the term Bible church. It's what we seek to do in this setting, obviously. It's what, what the youth in the, in the lower level are, are going to do in the, ne- in the next hour or on Wednesday nights. And by the way, parents, if you, have, if you have children, you want to give them this, this supplemental teaching, supplemental to your own, and thank the people who are investing in trying to communicate the Word of God to your children on their level. It's what we seek to do in the Adult Bible Fellowships because we so desperately need to hear from God because all week long we hear from everybody else. And so the idea of church is to gather together and realize it is a supernatural opportunity to hear from God through his word and then even see a whole flurry of applications when we know each other well. It's a a phenomenal supernatural experience really that God is seeking to accomplish because the power is in us actually hearing from the maker of the universe. Hebrews 4.12, for the word of God is alive and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and the attitudes of the heart. So if there are times when you say, I feel like God is saying something to me, if it's through the word, you've got to take that really seriously. It's always been interesting uh, for me to note from time to time people will, will, will say something afterwards or, or during the week saying, you know, like you said in the sermon, and then they say something that I didn't say. But it's exactly right on as an application. So you know that God was using his word and actually was communicating that next step of illumination, we call it sometimes, or the application, and a person heard from God through his word, and I didn't have to say it, because the power is in the word of God. 
Or 2 Timothy 3, all scripture is inspired. The word means God breathed and is useful for teaching. What should we do? Rebuking. You shouldn't have done that. Correcting might be who do you need to apologize to? And then instruction. What, how do you keep from doing that again? If young Timothy felt the pressure of, of his ministry, this was meant to be an assurance. Timothy, it doesn't depend on you. And Timothy could have felt the pressure. I'm filling in for the Apostle Paul. I mean, he's, he's the guy that he planted the churches. He's writing scripture. How am I supposed to step into those shoes? Paul says, pressure's off. You don't change anyone. And we need to know the pressure's off as we seek to communicate the word of God, whether it's neighbors and friends or children or in a ministry role you might have here. That we, we, we don't convince atheists or skeptics. We can communicate the word of God. We don't... We don't arm wrestle, harass people into following Christ. We don't demand, we shouldn't demand or leg, try to legislate godliness. We've got to let the word of God work. That's where the power is. So Timothy, make sure of what you can make sure of, that you are communicating the word of God and that you are living it yourself. So don't neglect, verse 14. Don't neglect your gift, which is given you through a prophetic message when the body of elders laid their hands on you. So there was a moment where he was uh, what we generally refer to as ordained. I think it's the same issue. Don't neglect your gift. Paul knew the spiritual gift that Timothy had. I, I would assume it was the gift of pastor-teacher, Ephesians 4.11, the idea of shepherding God's people and teaching the word of God. Romans 12 lists gifts, uh, other essential gifts that we know are needed today, and gifts of encouragement and teaching, serving, giving, showing mercy. These are, these are particular abilities that God gives to each believers. I hesitate to make the, the parallel to superpowers. Uh, this isn't like an animated film, but, but they are power, and they are supernaturally given. In other words, they are something that God, his sovereignty, when he, when he brought you into the family of Christ, said, I want this person to function especially well in this area. This is, kind of, this is how they're going to kind of find some of their key roles. We all, we all are supposed to give, show mercy, and encourage, and serve. I mean, it doesn't take a spiritual gift to help move chairs. But we, we are going to be funneled by our desires and by the confirmation of others to discover where especially we fit in the body of Christ so that we can be channels of communicating the word of God and transfer of, of, of life application so that people would grow in godliness. And that's how the body all works together. So think about where your gift might be and as you might begin to discover, yeah, I think maybe it's this, and you bounce it off of some other spiritual peers or leaders in your life. And, and, th and then you have to watch your motive because the danger is, well, I have a spiritual superpower. And you are immediately undermining your own gift because you want to take credit for it. The nature of a gift is that somebody else 
gave it to you. Just like you were taught to thank Aunt Susie for the Christmas present, you thank God for your gift and consider it a privilege any time you get to use it. 1 Peter 4, 10 and 11 say, you know, there's, there's like serving gifts and there's, 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 there's speaking gifts. But whatever your gift is, just make sure you use it. That's what he's saying to Timothy. Be, don't neglect your gift. It's like a tool. You, you don't get a tool and you wrap it up in velvet and put it on the shelf someplace and think, I got a really cool tool. I guess we kind of do that once in a while, right? But the tool belongs in the toolbox and, and sometimes it's going to get dinged and dirty. And if you use your gifts, you're going to get dinged somewhere along the way. But that's okay because the gifts were meant to be used. Godly people will confirm our gifts. The body of elders laid their hands on you, Timothy. I'd love to have been at that meeting of the church where they laid hands on Timothy, right? But it, it's something that is, is done routinely, really, in the body of Christ 2,000 years later. And so if you, if you read our church constitution, one of the last couple pages is this description of a process called ordination. So we kind of have to figure out how we're, we're going to do ordination, which is simply that the, that the leadership would uh, seek to confirm and verify that someone is, is set apart for full-time uh, ministry of the word. It could be teaching, preaching, missionaries. And so I, I had the privilege of going through a process like that uh, at our church in, in the Dallas area just before we moved up here. Uh, Nate, you had this process in Illinois at the church there, and Seth and uh, Pastor Jim both went through the process here. But it's, it's simply like, it really is an examination of life and doctrine. It's really these two issues in terms of trying to determine is, is somebody set aside for some full-time ministry, and Timothy, uh, you were. Not to put you on another level, but just saying this is kind of a, a unique calling that God has for you. And so then Paul says in verse 15, be diligent in these things, these matters. And give yourself wholly to them so that everyone may see your progress. So that the things he's referring to are that you are communicating the word of God and that you're living the word of God. I mean, it's that simple. He's not really changing the subject along the way here, but he is emphasizing it to say, be diligent, give yourself wholly. It's like, it's like this has to be your absolute Focus. Some of the translations say practice them, take pains in them, immerse themselves in them, uh, be entirely devoted to them. So you receive a spiritual gift or capacity for ministry, but it doesn't just happen. You have to give yourself to it. You have to take pains to develop it. That's why when we need to speak and teach in the ministries here, we... We spend hours in the week to prepare for this. Uh, if you start working with kids build or something, don't expect that the first time you, 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 you seek to do that, you can instantly know just the best ways to uh, communicate God's word to young kids. It'll, it'll, I mean, it'll be weeks, it'll be a couple of years of experience, and then you, you begin to, you, you can grow. It says, so that everyone can see your progress both in terms of communicating the Word of God as well as living the Word of God. It's, there's a process, Timothy. You're, you're in process. I remember sometimes in the earlier years, it bothered me a little 
when someone would compliment me by saying something like this. Your sermons are getting really good. (laughs) And you know what I was thinking. How bad were they? (laughs) Progress, Timothy. Progress in life. This, this This is a serious issue. Do you believe that you make spiritual progress? And do you believe that others make spiritual progress? Oh, yeah, sure. We would say, yeah, we do. Well, but how about this? Are you still holding against someone in the body of Christ something that you knew about them from years, maybe decades ago? And you wrote them off and you sealed that picture in your mind, this is who they are. We dare not do that. If we believe in the sanctification of the Spirit of God, we are all in process. So let's not nurse those hurts, maintain those opinions, but rather begin to give each other the benefit of the doubt and expect and pray for progress in ourselves and in one another. Peter would call it growing in grace. We all have to grow in grace. One of the uh, students I got to know in in the Philippines a couple years ago posted a great quote this week from uh, the English preacher Charles Spurgeon from generations ago. He who grows in grace remembers that he is but dust and he therefore does not expect his fellow Christians to be anything more. He overlooks 10,000 of their faults because he knows his God overlooks 20,000 in his own case. He does not expect perfection in the creature and therefore he is not disappointed when he doesn't find it. Wouldn't that be a transforming way to look at one another? Just growing in grace. And then the joy of church fellowship is then that you begin to notice that, you know, I used to think they had this flaw now I rarely see that anymore isn't that great and maybe someone will notice the same progress in you Timothy make sure that they see your progress you're going to grow you're going to grow sometimes as as Christians if if you've been a Christian for decades like myself or whatever you get pretty good at looking spiritual you know You know what not to say, what not to do. Kind of like living the Christian life with two hands tied behind your back, you'll be okay. But that's not the Christian life. The Christian life is not a habit alone, though good habits are good. The Christian life is a continual dynamic work of the Holy Spirit of God who indwells us, constantly rooting out sin by addressing it, exposing it, sometimes embarrassing ourselves, and then shaping, correcting, and moving us in a direction. And so we have to expect the Holy Spirit to be doing that in others, especially if we recognize it in ourselves. And if we don't recognize it happening in others, could it be that it's not really happening in ourselves? Expect progress. And then, verse 16 is like Paul wrapping up this section for Timothy. He says, let me just say it again. 
What's your life and doctrine closely? These two things. In other words, what you teach and how you live it. Persevere in them. This is like the third or fourth way he's had of saying, just keep going at the same two things. Persevere in them because if you do, you will save both yourself and your hearers. Oh no, what doctrine is that? How is, how is Timothy supposed to save others? But see, that's what teaching does. And so some of you automatically, when I read save yourself and others, going, wait a minute, we don't save ourselves and we don't save others. And so you begin to conclude, because you know the scripture, that must mean something a little bit differently than what it first sounds like. And it does. Because the word save is used in a variety of ways. One way it used, it's used is that we are eternally saved from hell by putting our faith in Jesus Christ. And so that's the way we're used to hearing it. But it's also used often in scripture of being like saved from dying in the sea. Or like uh, there was an officer, Becker, in, 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 in Port Washington, saved someone from a burning house this past week. Wonderful. So, so what is this context of, of, of being saved or saving somebody else? What are they being rescued from, saved from, helped from? Since it's not talking about eternal salvation from eternal judgment, he is talking about some kind of present tense salvation. Perhaps it's, Timothy, you will, you will deliver the Ephesian Christians from false teachers, because that's been a problem, chapter 1, chapter 4. You'll deliver them and, and help them clarify false teaching. You, you, maybe you're going to preserve, save, preserve the fruit of their life so far because you're going to address something and save them from spiritual disaster. You're going to confront them. You can save them from something that would be a disaster to them and their families and the church. Or you might, you might save them that by helping them grow, helping them. There's so many different ways that you, you can save, that is, yourself, be, be delivered from making some kind of an error that would boot you out of the, the, the profitable ministry that you've had. And you can do that and benefit and spiritually impact others as well. He's basically saying in this passage, I know your heart, Timothy, you want to have an impact on others. You've followed me all around the Roman Empire, all these different places, and now I know you're ready to, to, to take a position like this and be a spiritual leader. And uh, I'm convinced that that's probably what God is doing up and down these rows as well. You have some, you have some stage in your spiritual life in progress and... And God has put that flame in your life of saying, I want to impact others. You know, that's, that's, that's hitting you as a teenager or a 30-year-old or an 80-year-old. It's that God always wants to use us. And so what this is saying is that the only way anything powerful will happen in our life, in someone else's life, is if it's happening in our life. And so it's really saying you can relax, you can take the pressure off, you really want to have an impact, but it's not about trying harder, it's by being more clear that you point to the Word of God and say, this is what changes life. You point to the Word and then trust that God can use both His Word and something that He has done in your life that causes someone to say, 
yeah, that makes sense. You're, that's, that's credible because I would like to live like you live. I would like to have the peace that you have. And they would find that it's because we are daily in the Word, and that's why, that's why the things that happen in the world aren't making us go to pieces. That's why, it's why there, there's some kind of a pathway we have in our finances or our marriage or our parenting, and, and we're, we're, we're going through our struggles with, with some sense of grace and, and trust and faith in God. And so they'd say, I would like to be like you. Because he's going to, but the power is going to be in the Word of God and to whatever extent we are enabled by the Spirit to live out and apply the Word of God. And then we will have transformation in our lives, our family, our church, our community, and our world. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we just want to bring to you anything that you have spoken to us about today and to realize the significance that if you spoke, it was you in your voice through your word and uh, that we have a responsibility then to uh, apply it. We count it a privilege to hear from you. We count it a privilege that we hold the Bible in our hands. We count it a privilege to be a part of a, of a church family where together we can encourage each other to, to live so cross-grained from the rest of the world but in a way that actually brings light to the world and joy to ourselves and peace that the world does not know so give us lord a sense of your grace towards uh, sometimes patient with ourselves and definitely patient and gracious towards others that we would grow and see one another's progress and rejoice in that and that we could rejoice someday knowing that you used us to save, deliver someone else from a, a more uh, fruitless life because you worked in us. In Jesus' name, amen.